Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rozeal and I'm the host of the show where I get to have conversations with Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the Games. Today we have Tara Garrity-Motes, TGM of USA Nordic Combined. Little humble brag, she is number one in the entire world at Nordic Combined for women. So it was a very interesting conversation. She's clearly very, very skilled at what she does. Tara was a ski jumper, is a ski jumper technically. Um, She did cross-country skiing as well and biathlon. So she took four disciplines. She crushed them all and found that Nordic Combined is her favorite. It really is. It combines the endurance of cross-country skiing and the incredible flight and fine feeling a lot of Fs, of ski jumping. So she really enjoys that. So she gets into all of those, describes the differences and the similarities between them. So we have a very good understanding, but she really just dives into her life. She had a scary injury when she was around 16 and was told she could never ski jump again. So she took that off, switched to biathlon and cross-country skiing. She then thought it would be really just fun to enter nationals for ski jumping because she missed it placed fifth and realized, heck, I still have an opportunity to do this. So she's just always constantly um, paying attention to her knee and and making sure everything's fine. But that that has allowed her to become number one of the world at something. And I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, And she is just a really fun, sweet, fantastic person. And I'm thoroughly, thoroughly excited that I had the opportunity to speak with her. So uh, without further ado, uh, first, a word from our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to launch your own podcast? I did, so I did. Um, I went to Rob at launchingpodcast.com and he gave me his video course and I learned everything from how to take my idea, how to formulate it, what to do with it, and how to make the first four episodes. So you can hear all of them and everything. I've obviously gotten better as time has gone on. I think that's important. But he taught me how I could utilize a podcast to become a um a voice in the community, an authority, how to grow relationships, how to grow my own brand, and really just get out in front of it. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, go to launchingpodcasts.com and use promo code Mike. You get $50 off of their easy step-by-step video course. That's promo code Mike at launchingpodcast.com for $50 off using promo code Mike. And without further ado, here's Tara. All right, today's special guest, Tara Garrity-Motes of USA Ski Jumping and USA Nordic Combined. And Tara is an Olympic hopeful, born April 12th, 1993 in Lebanon, New Hampshire. She started skiing at the age of two, started ski jumping at the age of nine. After an injury at 16, uh, Tara was told that she could never ski jump again. So she switched to biathlon and cross-country skiing. In 2013, she thought, what the heck, let's try it one more time at nationals. Ended up placing fifth and deciding that maybe she'll get back into it. So uh, Tara then joined the U.S. ski jumping team in 2014 after winning a national title in biathlon and being a medalist on the junior national team for cross-country skiing. Uh, Tara also, just by the way, is the USA Nordic Combined. She's on USA Nordic Combined is also the number one female Nordic Combined skier in the world. Tara, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. The pleasure's all mine. You're the best in the world at something. Maybe some of your expertise and uh, experience will rub off on me and we can get going. But um, yeah, you clearly have a very interesting story. So I'd love to jump right into it. Um, started skiing at two. That's incredible. I guess let's start there. That's a pretty big moment in your life, right? Yeah. I am from a family of skiers and I guess pretty early on I sort of started asking where my ski equipment was 
So I was set up with a nifty pair of pink boots and a pair of skis. And I actually learned how to ski at this wonderful area called the Living Room Carpet. <laughs> so that was my introduction to skiing. Awesome. That's, uh, I've never heard of that mountain. That's very interesting. Would you look at that? Yeah, I know, right? Turns out um, if you learn how to ski on your living room carpet when you fall down, you don't get snow in your jacket. Mm. Um, your parents can be cooking dinner at the same time. A little bit warmer too. That's great. That's great. That is incredible. And then so you started ski jumping at nine. Tell us about that. Like where you're, you're in New Hampshire, um, right? So, I mean, where, where are you finding these ski jumps in, and at nine years old? Where are they letting kids do this? Um, I was actually at cross-country practice, cross-country skiing practice, and the trails that I skied on with my club went right around a pair of Nordic ski jumps. I sort of wondered what they were and asked my coaches about it and really sort of begged my mom to let me do yet another sports program. So the, the following year, it was sort of added to my schedule and I got to try ski jumping. Very cool. And clearly you love it. So that's always important. And it's just funny how it maybe if that path was a little different, you might not have ever tried it. I'm sure you would have at some point understanding your, your career, but still, I think that that is very interesting and you got really, really good at it. Um, so I think that that's pretty important. And then you actually, uh, had a relatively bad injury. Obviously you were told you could not ski jump anymore. So I guess, tell us a little bit about that. And, uh, I mean, what the injury was, I guess, how it occurred. You can go as deep or as shallow as you'd like on that and really how that, totally affected the the course of your career yeah it's it's pretty crazy how one injury can affect someone's career so much but I didn't have a good landing on one of my jumps I went too far so landed where the hill was was a lot more flat and I landed probably a little bit off center so maybe a little bit sideways because the jump was sort of long and out of control and unfortunately I tore my ACL and my MCL and had some tibial fractures as well. So when they went in to do the surgery, um, everything looked okay, and, and they repaired it, and then it got infected. They had to do another surgery, and there were some complications involved with that. So the doctors uh, recommended that I really take a long time off from any kind of contact sport or impact sports. Um, and at the time, as you mentioned, I had been cross-country skiing. So not that I didn't love cross-country skiing, but there's a mental side to ski jumping that's really engaging, and, and I knew I would miss that in my life. And I had heard about biathlon, which is skiing and shooting, and I thought that shooting would sort of replace the, the mental challenge that ski jumping gave me in my life. So I decided to be a biathlete. Very cool. So you, you stuck with the, the torturous part, the cross country part, and then you just kind of replaced the, the mental aspect of it. I like that. That's very interesting. I mean, I guess uh, get back to the injury for a little bit. Don't want to, don't want to stick on that for too long, but I, I have to assume it was the infection that really put it over the edge because I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy to come back for an ACL or MCL knock on wood. I don't want anyone to ever have to do that. But uh, was it really just that, that extra infection that really kind of for lack of a better term, put it over the top and really what's what made the doctors want to say, hey, maybe you should you should really calm down on this. Yeah, so what happened is the infection after the initial first surgery meant that the graft didn't take properly. So when I sort of got back to to impact sport again, I just didn't have an ACL and it just hadn't worked. So not only did it not work, but it also damaged my knee when I tried to go back to 
more aggressive sports. Uh, and, and I did need another surgery. So yeah, I was 16 and I had two knee surgeries and you have to think about the longevity of not only your athletic career, but your knees and being able to walk. So yeah, that- um, I think it was definitely, you know, given my age and, and how many brutal surgeries I had just gone through, it was definitely a smart choice. And I'm glad my, my doctors were honest with me. And I, I think taking four years off was a really good choice for my body. But at the same time, I'm so, so thankful that I was able to make a full recovery and take that time. Yes. Congratulations on that. I hear that walk-in thing is pretty, uh, pretty important. Um, so definitely want to make sure you can keep doing that for as long as possible. And yeah, it's just super unfortunate. I mean, things happen, obviously, um, knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't happen to anyone else ever again. It will, but we can always hope. Um, so I think that that, you know, it, it stinks, but it, uh, it clearly worked, I guess, in a weird roundabout way. It kind of got us to where we are today, which I think is really incredible. Um, but first, I do want to take a, a quick timeout. And so we've already talked about four different sports, or at least four different disciplines um, that I think are, I want to educate people. I want them to get to learn and understand a little bit more about what you do. So ski jumping, biathlon, cross-country skiing, and Nordic combined. Um, can you give us a little information on each of those? Um, Ski jumping is, I kind of understand it. Biathlon, I almost understand it. Cross-country skiing is just go, right? Just, just keep going. So I guess just give us a little bit of understanding on each of those four sports and I guess some of the similarities and differences between them. Well, they're all really amazing winter sports. Um, Done. The athletes- all right. That's enough. Nope, that's enough. We're good. <laughs> the athletes who compete in only one sport. So like if you talk to a biathlete, they'll be like, I do the most hardcore, hardest winter sport there is. And then if you talk to a ski jumper, they'll be like, yeah, my, my sport is totally the hardest. And then you go over to cross country skier and they're like, yeah, I am just so hardcore and I have endurance. I can ski for 36 hours straight. And, and then you go over to Nordic combiner and they're like, yeah, I can do everything. I'm amazing. Yeah. So, um, and by the way, you're, you're number one in the world at that last one. So, you know, humble. Very, very quick, like little humble brag in there. But anyway, I apologize. Keep going. Um, so yeah, cross country skiing, you try to go as fast as possible uh, around a given course on very skinny skis. And biathlon, you also try to go as fast as possible on skinny skis, but you stop to shoot uh, in between laps. So, and then you either lie down or stand on a mat while you're shooting. It's called prone or standing. And in every biathlon stage, you have five targets to hit. Uh, In individual races, you have five bullets to hit those targets. In relay races, you have eight bullets to hit those five targets. So there's a little bit of variance in the format of biathlon races. But essentially, uh, you're trying to hit all your targets and ski as fast as possible while doing that. And what do we have left? Oh, ski jumping. jumping. So you slide down the in-run, obviously. And... um, jump as hard as possible on time and try to go as far as possible. And then we have Nordic combined, which is a great combination of ski jumping and then cross country skiing after. That was very succinct, very easy to understand. Thank you so much for a nice little easy introduction to each of those sports. I think it'll be really cool. Most people listening to this, I'm sure, have a good idea. Um, but at the same time, it's always nice to educate and give people a good understanding. Um, so obviously, we went over each of the sports. So you started with ski jumping. You were doing cross country. You stopped ski jumping. So then you started doing biathlon um, just for that little extra mental edge. 
after your injury, you were told that you could not be, do ski jumping uh, for about, you didn't do ski jumping for about four years. So that's when you switched over to biathlon and cross country skiing. Tell us a little bit about that four year period. And, and uh, I mean, I guess after the injury, how long did you just completely take off? Um, and then finally. Um, yeah. So after the injury, um, I got surgery about a month after the injury. And then as soon as I was sort of able to move around, I started learning how to shoot which was great because I was doing rehab and it was pretty tortuous and you're pretty much in the gym doing silly little exercises, wondering if your knee is ever going to work again. So learning how to shoot really took my, my mind off of that and just sort of let me give myself time to heal while learning something new. So learning how to shoot took a while. Um, I can't ever say I was ever a true master at it, but I had surgery in the spring and by the fall I was uh, starting to do biathlon races and try to think about qualifying for junior world championships. That is a quick turnaround. Uh, was this like, how, how did biathlon, like how did biathlon ever come up? Was it, did someone suggest it? Were you just like, Oh, this would make sense. You know, at however old you were 16, you're like, yeah, this will replace the mental aspect of ski jumping. Like were, were you that wise at such a young age or like where, where did this idea come from? I guess. Um, well, I had always had a dream of competing on the World Cup level in skiing mm -hmm. sports, and I realized that ski jumping wasn't going to happen, and biathlon looked pretty awesome, so I just sort of figured I'd go for it. Mm -hmm. Ended up loving it, which is great. Um, and yeah, you said you weren't really a master at it, but you did win a national title in biathlon? Yeah, for sure. Um, shooting was is 50% of biathlon, uh -huh. but I don't think... Shooting was ever like my super strong point. You know, I was a really strong skier and a really fast skier, but I was never like a standout shooter. Okay. So just got by on shooting, crushed it on skiing. I love it. And then in yeah. cross country, you also were on the junior national team, correct? You were a medalist on the junior national team. Yeah. So um, I wasn't on like, they don't have a junior national team for cross country, but they have junior nationals when different regions go and compete. And I believe I went four times and I came home with hardware every time. So yeah, it was a blast. And I, I really enjoyed just sort of the all out uh, aspect of cross country racing, that especially is the sprints. I really love the sprints. Yeah. So actually, yeah. Explain a little bit more about that. I know cross country skiing isn't as, it's not just as cut and dry as, okay, you start here and then you finish here, right? There's different, there's skating and there's, there's, there's different, do you want, how, how deep do you want to go into that? Well, cross-country skiing is, you can kind of think of it as running. So just like running, there's track in cross-country, and there's also different distances. So in cross-country skiing, it's somewhat similar. Um, we have, let's see, for girls, there's usually 5K, 7.5K, 10K, 15K, 20K, and then up into 30 and 50K, uh, as well as the sprint races, which are in a different format. They'll be qualifying and heats. Uh, just like you would have in, say, a 400-meter running, ra 400 running race. Mm -hmm. So along with that, there's basically two different sides to cross-country ski racing, which is classic and skating. Classic technique is basically running on skis. Uh, that's a little bit oversimplified, but essentially that's what it is. And skating, skating is uh, the same motion you would use for hockey, hockey skating or rollerblading. Um, and uses the, the, not the sticky wax to move forward, but the, the push of your legs and the diagonal movement. 
fun. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 it does. It does. It's been explained to me once or twice before. So um, I have a slight understanding and I think, I think I have better understanding. So I really appreciate uh, you going into that a little bit. So in 2013, you told the story to me fantastic the first time we spoke. Do you just want to, do you just want to tell it to me again, but this time we'll just have the record button pressed. So when I went back to ski jumping Mm -hmm. is what you want me to talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty great story. um, Well, I was sort of done with my junior career as a biathlete and there was uh, sort of a lack of funding for that bridge to get from the junior team to the senior team. And I wasn't really sure how I was going to handle it on top of having kind of a bad season as a biathlete. Um, And paired with that was the fact that I had been alpine skiing with friends and sort of playing around in a terrain park and going off some pretty big jumps and my knee felt fine. So when I found myself in the same venue in Lake Placid where they were holding ski jumping nationals, uh, a friend suggested that, hey, like there's nationals and I heard that you've jumped a few times this summer and, and you should try nationals. And at first I thought it was sort of a crazy idea to jump in national championships after I had four years off from the sport. And when I say off from the sport, I mean just not putting CJ Macy's on at all. And then I realized I had absolutely nothing to lose and it would be really fun. And I would get to see a bunch of old friends and enjoy ski jumping. So I hopped in national championships and came in fifth place and realized that I definitely had a future in the sport and I definitely still loved it. And uh, the following year after I sort of, went and ended my biathlon career, I decided to go for the national team in ski jumping. That's just crazy to me how you actually did not put on skis for four years and you were still able to finish fifth in the entire country where there are girls that do this almost every single, if not every single day of their life. I mean, that is just so cool. Yeah. And I had a junior career as a ski jumper. I Mm -hmm. I jumped seriously till I was 15, 16. And I think it's just a testament to how mental sports are. You know, I, there was no pressure on me and I was just doing it to have fun and I did well. So that was a huge lesson. It's kind of like riding a bike. You just like never forget how to jump three football fields, I guess. Right. Yeah, totally. Just basically <laughs> the same thing. Practically the same thing. You can ride a bike, you can jump, you can jump on skis. That is awesome. I just think that that's such a cool story and the opportunity. And I mean, the fact that you were like, like how, I don't believe in coincidences, but I guess how, what are the chances that you were in that venue at that time? Was it planned? Was it just like, oh my gosh, look what's here. Like, how did that work? Well, so Nordic sports often happen in the same venue, but it was sort of fortuitous almost that, hey, I'm at a training camp for biathlon and I have a day off and I can go jump nationals. Now, that being said, you know, me switching from sport to sport over the years, there's been a lot of coaches who weren't necessarily supportive of it and felt that I was sort of defocused and sometimes I've been kind of a polarizing athlete where one coach will think one thing and another coach will think another thing but now that I've matured and and everyone sort of understands hey you know Tara's good at a bunch of sports and she genuinely does them because she loves them all um things have mellowed down but there were some some tough patches Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I still think it's just super cool. And congratulations on that, getting fifth after not doing it for four years. Um, I think that that's incredible. So congratulations on that. So after, as you said, in 2014, then you said you, you ended your biathlon career, you started your ski jumping career. Um, 
did that also come along with, so where, so Nordic Combine, as I already said, and I'm going to keep saying you're number one in the world at that kind of cool. When, um, like when you started ski jumping again, did you pretty much take up both sports at the same time? Um, not at all. So that was actually one of the sad things about starting ski jumping again, as I realized, you know, I was not only saying goodbye to my biathlon career, but also my cross country career because there would not really be any time to train or race cross country. And at the time in 2014, 2015, there was virtually no races for women's Nordic combined. Um, even at the national championship level, I believe I asked for a bib to race in the Nordic combined race just for fun. And I wasn't given one because there wasn't a women's class. I wasn't allowed to race. Um, and I believe like one of the officials said, oh, you can race, but we're not going to give you a bib and you can keep track of your own time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Um, so I just, you know, focused on my ski jumping career and made world championships my first year on the team, which I was so excited about. And then was top 30 in the world for two years. So it was a, it was easier for me to sort of, try to forget about mm -hmm. cross-country skiing in Nordic Combined because I was having so much success and, and I was new to the Ski Jumping World Cup and, you know, honestly had a lot on my plate. I mean, it's not easy to be a world-class ski jumper. Absolutely. And that, that does make sense. At least you had something, for lack of a better term, to fall back on. It's not like you were told you couldn't compete in anything, right? So at right. least you had, at least you had um, ski jumping and, as you said, the relative success, top 30 in the world, um, not that bad. Not that bad, but number one, no. that's got a ring to it. Number one's got a ring to it. So I think that that's super cool. So from, so from 2014, 2015, that season on, um, before the 2018 games, I mean, I guess, what was it like getting back into that sport and really just the playing the balancing act of, you know, what do I do today or, or how do I do it? Or was it just strictly focusing on ski jumping from that point forward? It was strictly focusing on ski jumping from, you know, 2014-15 season to up until the Olympic Games. Um, and then because I had been a cross-country skier, I often would train cross-country as, you know, cross-training to keep myself in shape, you know, mm -hmm. to hopefully keep the weight off so that I could fly to the bottom of the hill. And just because I loved it. But definitely, you know, my ski jumping program, my, the, the program that the coaches wrote was what I was doing and mm -hmm. really focusing all my athletic focus on ski jumping. Uh, not this past year, but the year before the Olympic year, there was the first ever women's Nordic combined international circuit. So there was four races at the continental cup level, which is the level below world cup. So world mm -hmm. cup is the highest level of in a regular international competition during the season. Every weekend there'll be a world cup competition in any given skiing sport. So continental cup is basically, you can think of it as world cup B. Um, it's where maybe junior athletes that aren't quite at the World Cup level go or senior athletes who just want to take a step back and sort of work on certain skills or maybe if people are coming back from injury or if you are from a super strong country, say Germany, that has four people who could win medals on any given day and you're just the sixth guy who never gets to ski the World Cup mm -hmm. and go to the Continental Cup. So they have women's continental cup competitions now which is really exciting and they started that in the 2017-2018 season while I was trying to qualify for the games and on top of that recovering from a fractured elbow so I didn't actually compete in the first season of women's Nordic combined no and way. yeah and this last season was my first season and you jumped to the top of the world that quickly huh yeah so I've come in <laughs> 
I've won every single Nordic combined race I've ever entered, <laughs> except for one. That is incredible. All right, there we go. I was waiting for it. I knew there was, I knew there was a punchline somewhere. That is incredible, Tara. That is so, so cool. Congratulations on that. Not only are you really good at Nordic combined, obviously you're pretty darn good at the ski jumping aspect of it too. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, so you were, you were trying to compete at the 2018 games for uh, ski jumping. And if I'm not mistaken, you humbly said last night you were just an alternate, which I think is pretty, pretty darn cool. So you did not actually have the opportunity to go to Pyeongchang in 2018, but what does it mean to at least be that close to consider literally that five years prior you were, or I guess a few, seven years prior, you were told never do this again to, Hey, you're one spot away. I mean, what, what did that do when you were told that? And, and, you know, again, it would have been cool if you went, but still it's gotta mean something, right? Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible experience just to be, I mean, Olympic trials in Utah were amazing, for instance. You know, I, I went into it knowing that I had a shot at going to the Olympics. And in the U.S., we don't get a chance to compete in front of a huge home crowd that much in ski jumping. It just doesn't happen. So the Olympic trials took place in Park City, Utah, and it was on a beautiful blue sky day. And I believe there were close to 10,000 people at the bottom of the jumps cheering their faces off. So it didn't really matter if you had a shot at going to the games or not. It was an amazing experience. It was um, broadcasted live, and it was one of the most incredible competitions I've ever taken part in. That's so. fantastic. Tell, tell us about that process, I guess, to either get to Olympic trials and then actually to go to the Olympics. So ski jumping, I mean, every sport has their own way of qualifying people for the Olympic team. And and in every sport, it's fair, but there's different processes for every sport because they're different sports. And to get there, you sort of need different different ways of qualifying. So for ski jumping, uh, there's two ways you qualify. There, you can win Olympic trials. They take one person who wins Olympic trials. And then they um, are given a certain amount of slots from the IOC. So the IOC tells Team USA, hey, you can bring four women to the game so you can bring three women to the games that's your the amount you're allowed so given that it's based off world ranking so it's like okay we are sending one girl from the olympic trials and they get an automatic slot and then in our case we had three slots for the olympic games so that meant one was taken up by sarah hendrickson who won olympic trials on her home jump which was such it was so awesome to watch because it was her home crowd or home jump that she'd been has been jumping on since she was a little, little girl. And it was, it was sort of like a fairy tale story. Super cool. I'm sure you heard a little bit about that when you interviewed I, her. Yes, I did. Go check out Sarah's interview back, way back in the beginning, way back in the yeah. beginning. So, um, yeah, so she went and she qualified first and then Nita and Abby were above me in world rankings and um, they got to go. Alternates. That's, that's how that so works. You're fourth in the United States for ski jumping, though. Uh, yeah, I was at the time. Now I think I'm. I think I'm fifth. I'm not sure. mm. That cross country is taken away from it. It's hard. It is taken away from it. But it might. It might be. I don't know. It might. Do you think it's worth it though? If I'm number one in the number world. Number one. Yeah. 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 Stick. Stick to that. I think that that's okay. Not losing a race or losing one. Losing. Not getting first place in one race, I think, is pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, your 2018 alternate, I think that that is super, super, super cool. Um, what, from this whole rigmarole that you got to go through, I mean, what what is something that you learned from, you know, obviously the injury 
playing competing in four different sports obviously they each kind of draw upon each other ski jumping is a little out there the other three kind of make sense i guess they're all connected in some way i mean what what did you learn from this entire process i mean going from being very good at ski jumping to injuring yourself to doing two other sports then adding on another sport coming back to ski jumping just going through everything not that many people on planet earth would be able to do something like that myself included so what did you learn about yourself and and what did you just learn in general about going through this entire arduous process which ends up with you being number one in the world or something i think i learned to trust myself but also to just when i didn't really know what to do just take a second and sort of drop all my assumptions about what might happen or what i wanted to have happen or what i thought should have happened and just figure out what is happening like okay whether or not my i want my knee to be working right now it's not and I won't be going back to ski jumping. And I could be super, super sad about that at that point in time. Or I could just figure out, okay, what can I do? And what is going to get me to where I want to go? So I think that was really important. And again, when there wasn't Nordic combined, you know, I said, well, I really love ski jumping. And I really want to be on the World Cup in a skiing sport. And there's not Nordic combined, so I'm not just going to dwell on that. I'm going to be the best ski jumper I can be, knowing that if there ever becomes Nordic combined, being a good ski jumper is really important. Um, so I think just taking an honest assessment of what is actually going on, while at the same time not being super pessimistic or negative, is so, so important. Absolutely. And I think everybody could use that every day in their life. I think that that's a, a huge lesson that somebody can learn about understanding like whatever isn't possible or already happened, there's really not much you can do about it. You can only take what is happening now and, and move forward with that and, you know, hope for the best, but don't dwell on the worst, as you said. So very well said. Thank you, Tara. We really appreciate yeah, that. And I think, yeah, I think also, you know, I, I did have pretty close friends when I went back to ski jumping or when I started biathlon or even when I decided to just do focus on Nordic combined this season and do ski jumping sort of as a, a secondary thing, they didn't necessarily agree with me. And a lot of people thought it was maybe not the best plan. And I just had to realize that this, the plans that I was making could fail and really look that possibility in the face and then just trust myself and go for it. Just got to go for it. Tara's just plan. It, really. Just send just it. Send it. <laughs> Love it. Or Tara's plan. Uh, Drake can maybe write that song next. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, so that's fantastic. So 2018 alternate, 2022 ski jumping is in the Olympics. What about Nordic combined? Uh, probably not in the Olympics mm. unless uh, there's a magical unicorn that just pops over and sticks it in the game. Games. Um, maybe it's us. Maybe we're that magical yeah. unicorn. Possibly. Um, if you see any out there, though, uh, let me know because I'd love to. Deal. Love to we'll do. 100%. That. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it will probably not be in the games. There's like a 2% chance that um, the IOC will change its mind and decide that they want to have a gender equal uh, winter games. That would be super awesome. But again, looking at the actual reality of what's going on, um, I'm just going to focus on the fact that right now we do have a world championships on the schedule for 2021, which is not that far away. And that is incredible. I mean, most people, again, you know, as, as I spoke about a little earlier, like Olympic sports, what we call here in the United States, it's not like they're not important every year 
everywhere else around the world. It's just here we don't really pay attention to them, unfortunately. So I think still winning that would be incredible. Um, so I think that that's fantastic. And it sounds like that's the area you're going to go in. And considering that it won't be in the Olympics, I mean, it sounds like a dream of yours is to be there. Does that mean you will take time away from Nordic Combined to focus more on ski jumping to potentially make the Olympics there? Or are you, as, you know, Tara's plan, you're just going hardcore in a Nordic Combined and ski jumping will kind of be the, the secondary sport? Um, I really haven't gotten there. I'm just focusing on world champs and it may be that I just try to do everything all at once, um, which might be fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for right now I'm focusing on world champs and the Olympic games are still like three years out. So yeah, we'll see. We'll get, we'll see when you get there. Cool. I like that. It's always a, uh, an understanding, um, a very, very political answer. Uh, can't really get too angry about that one. Um, Definitely curious, though. I'm curious. I want to know what the future is going to hold, so I'm excited to hear that. Um, a couple other topics. Also, I, I know we spoke last night, and I have Dragon written down on my paper. I don't remember what Dragon was, and I knew that this was going to come up, so I'm really glad I still did this. Could you remind me of what Dragon is? Um, it's just my favorite animal out there. Oh, favorite animal. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Thank you, Tara. Thank you for that one. Glad I did write that down, and we got to have this little aside. Um. One thing that I always like to do is let athletes kind of speak on something that is very important to everybody, and that's the monetary aspects of being um, a, a Team USA member, specifically your experiences as a female um, athlete in sports that aren't as well, not accepted, just not as well received, are not really as well viewed here in the United States. They are a little bit more in Europe, but what is that like? Um, we don't want to know how many dollars you make, but what is that like and kind of what is your experiences um, on Team USA and, and kind of getting support when needed or, or not getting support when needed? So it's, it's challenging. It's really challenging. And um, it's sort of like being expected to juggle if you actually don't know how to juggle. Mm. So, um, that being said, I have an amazing NGB USA Nordic behind me that does help me get to competitions and supports me to travel and train a lot of the winter. But Nordic athletes, for the most part, do not get paid, even if they're on Olympic teams or even if they're on the national team. So even if you have amazing sponsors and NGBs sending you to, say, Korea or Russia or, you know, five weekends worth of World Cups all over Europe, which is by no means cheap or affordable, you don't get paid, right? So you're not, you don't have a job. So when you get home, you still need to pay your cell phone bill. You still need to pay your insurance. You still need to own a car and probably pay rent. So it's, it's pretty challenging to find personal sponsors. And it's definitely something that every athlete has to deal with in their own way. And I think it definitely takes away from competing in sport and being the best athletes we can be. So I don't really have any answers, unfortunately. A lot of the European athletes actually join the military and are given military jobs so, and, and paid for them. So not only do, are they on military salary, but when they get done with their career, they have a career to go to after they're competing. And that's sort of an option in the U.S., but not to the extent it is in European countries. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I know um, I just spoke with uh, Taylor Fletcher. And he was explaining there's a couple gentlemen on the team that went that route, which was very interesting. So hopefully I get the opportunity to speak to them and learn a little bit more about that. Um, but I do know you have a pretty cool sponsor, right? Yeah. So Jaybird Headphones is mm -hmm. um, 
a really awesome sponsor for the team that I would like to give a shout out to. And then I'm sponsored by the venue in Lake Placid, Lake Placid Olympic sites. And they not only provide amazing venues for me to train at in Lake Placid all summer, where you can go watch ski jumping and biathlon and also Nordic combined training, uh, but they are redoing all their ski jumps. So we're gonna have modern ski jumps with modern profile um, upgrades. It's sort of like getting the new iPhone. It's, it's the same, but way better. But you're going so, from like an iPhone 5, right? <laughs> exactly. iPhone 5 to the new, newest model. Um, and they will be hosting the university games in 2023. So if you, anyone wants to actually stop by and see a super high level of Nordic competition and also other competitions, um, I think there's going to be like hockey and ice skating and downhill skiing, alpine skiing, cross-country skiing, ski jumping, biathlon. It's going to be a really amazing event in the U.S. that international athletes come to. So it's a ways off, but I'm really, really looking forward to those. It does seem like a little way away, um, but it also seems like you're going to be competing in probably all of those sports. So it's just a lot of Tara that weekend. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's going to be an amazing event. Perfect. Um, and then the last question I have for you, um, I always like to also pose, like, what is your life after your sport? Um, you know, I think it's always important to understand you're much more than just an athlete. Granted, you've been doing it for a very long time at a very high level. Um, but what is, like, do you have an, an idea that, you know, something you want to get to afterwards? Are you going to be a coach? Are you going to totally get out of the sport for a little while? What, what kind of thoughts do you have on that? I guess my challenge with what I'm going to do after sports is what am I not going to do? I have a long, long list of stuff that I want to do and could do. And um, one of the things that injuries and, and having to take some time away from sport has really showed me is how many opportunities I have open to me and the fact that I have an amazing life right here in Vermont that is waiting for me when I get done with sport. So I've definitely considered going into the military. I've considered um, being a coach. I've considered helping manage the organic vegetable farm down the road. <laughs> um, I've considered managing the ski shop that my mom works for. Um, I've considered starting my own sports academy for Nordic sports. Um, yeah, I've also really thought it would be fun to get my law degree and maybe be an architect. So, Whoa. yeah. Uh, I don't really think I'm going to have too much of a hard time figuring out what to do. Yeah, I think, well, I think you will have a hard time figuring out what to do because you have so many things that you want to do, but all right, right. here we go. Here we go. So you go, you get your law degree for fun. You then architect your own ski academy where your mom works the ski shop inside it. And you also out back have an organic farm. How did I do? That was like five Perfect. or six of them, right? Yeah. Done. Then you just call yourself yeah, an we'll entrepreneur. Check back. <laughs> we'll check back in four years and you can help me with the planning of that deal hopefully by then i i have enough money to donate and hopefully help you out with this so we'll see how that goes um but yeah you just call yourself an entrepreneur and everyone just thinks it's super impressive and you should be good to go perfect love it awesome well tara this was an absolute blast thank you so much for your time um a couple times now it's been fantastic getting to know you getting to understand you know what you got going on i think we hit just about all the nails on the head if I'm not mistaken. Oh, one actually. 
so you have to have a job to peak, compete and train for your job, which I think is ridiculous as we've kind of already talked about. What do you currently do? Um, what, are, what are you doing so that you can pay your cell phone bill and, and rent and own a car? Um, so right now I am working in a ski shop and I'm also working on an organic vegetable farm. And this summer I might actually be coaching biathlon while I, while I train for ski jumping in order to mind. That's awesome. So you're already getting into the, the sport of having 45 different jobs. So I think that that's fantastic. So good for you. And thank you. Thank you again for that. Um, yeah, you're already on, well on your way. Just need that law degree. That's all you need. To, and everything else will just pan out. So fantastic. Tara, thank you so much. TGM, Tara, Garrity, Motes, sincerely appreciate your time. USA Ski Jumping, USA Nordic Combined, Olympic Hopeful, Olympic Alternate, number one in the world for Nordic Combined. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and, and chatting. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Tara Garrity Motes, TGM What's Up. She was absolutely fantastic. As you heard, she really does have a lot to say and, and really did a great job at explaining the sport, explaining her life and everything she went through, some of her emotions and how incredible it is that she's just willing to do anything that it takes. Um, I think she's such a cool person. And again, super excited that I had the opportunity to speak with her. Very grateful um, and really happy. So it was fantastic. So please follow her on all of her socials. Everything's in the show notes. Please follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter. Check out the new website, www.ourathletes.us, and send me some feedback, michael at ourathletes.us on the email. Um, other than that, please like, sub- subscribe, share, tell your friends about it. The more people that can hear these incredible athlete stories, the happier they will be, the happier I will be, and let's be honest, the happier you will be. So I think it's pretty important. And uh, yeah, just give us five stars. That's all I'm asking for. So thank you all so much. Uh, Thank you to Launching Podcasts, our sponsor. They really appreciate that they're helping us out a little bit. Use promo code Mike at launchingpodcast.com for $50 off their step-by-step video course. Promo code Mike, $50 off. And uh, other than that, thank you all so much and make it a great day.